week's action show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 433. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, we got a bunch of things that are happening now, as Wolf Blitzer says. Noah is live on location. We're going to tell you more about that in just a moment. You might notice if you're watching the video version, he looks a little different. And he was on a mission. You might say a mission from the internet to convert a school's local broadcast system over to Linux. It's funny because I was involved with my middle school's broadcast system way back in the day that was like this clunky video system, closed, closed cameras, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it evolved into this really Mac-heavy production. That's kind of when I got out. And it's fascinating now to see Noah's story go in there and convert the school from using things like iPods for cameras to a full Linux-powered production setup. So we'll bring you that story plus uh, additional educational tools for Linux and students that are using Linux, all of that in today's episode. In the news segment, we'll talk about this supposed new ransomware that's going around for Linux. There's also some uh, hubbub about OpenOffice potentially shutting down, as well as a bunch of other really great stories. Plus, we've got the feedback. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we got? We have got the picks. And uh, as uh, as many of you sent in this week, and thank you because rightfully all of you should have submitted this runs Linux pick. This is a Pixar production box that runs Linux, uses open source software, and runs on a System76 rig. This is probably... Hey, even I sent this in this week. Everybody like, Not did. even from a viewer, like on my own, yeah. No, this is a really great one. In fact, I believe officially the first time I saw it come into the show mm-hmm. was uh, when Eno submitted it to the uh, subreddit three days ago. And I think gotcha. that was the first spotting, but I've seen tweets and telegrams and emails about it because this, like, this is just such a great one. I'm really excited mm-hmm. about it. And we're going to just play like a minute. Hopefully we don't get taken down off of YouTube because I think this is absolutely the essential t- uh, definition definition of fair use. We are we covered this for 10 years straight. So we'll see what happens, but this is a great moment. I want to play this for you and listen to how excited he is about the technological achievement they've accomplished. And this you can see too at the System 76 rig there. Real-time graphics that you're going to see tonight. On now, the GNOME start desktop. Out with, um, some final frame final rendered frames from Finding Dory. Um, each of these frames takes dozens of hours to compute, and our artists do a lot of presentations about what it takes to generate these pixels, but what we don't talk about is what it takes to what the artists see, the real-time pixels that the artists see while they're working. So I'm going to start this out by showing you, um, by loading that same shot into USD view. Now check Great out shot. how fast this loads. Look at that. Now. Great shot of the System76 rig there, and then in the next box over the GNOME 3 desktop, this is... This is like everything I love about our runs Linux. Mm-hmm. What I just loaded was we're looking at 80,000 meshes being drawn with 52 million polygons, all at real-time frame rates. Now, what's happening here is our open so- our, our USD architecture is streaming all of this geometry off disk and loading it into memory, including this grass simulation. And then the Hydra OpenGL render that's integrated into, into USD is then drawing all of this geometry in real time. That's amazing. Now, we're not just blasting images. Hydra is drawing all of this geometry at whatever we're seeing down here. We're seeing 60 frames per second, Hydra drawing all of this geometry. I want to 
try one more thing. Let's load this again. What I really, uh, what I, that particular part that I love there is a lot of times there's this narrative that graphics on Linux suck, that the graphics stack mm-hmm. is old, that X holds us back, there's no game, games can't run very well on Linux, which is totally crap. Uh, and here you see a, a Pixar animation engineer who is excited about how fast under Linux that they can generate mm-hmm. this, these environments, which is amazing. Then he goes on to talk about how damn fast it runs. How fast does mm-hmm. this take to load? Let's count it off. One, two, three. Three seconds for 52 million polygons, which I think is pretty good. Yeah. But the, the best thing about what you're seeing right now is that all of the source code for everything that you're seeing, Universal Scene Description and Hydra, was open sourced by Pixar on GitHub today at lunch. Isn't that amazing? Nice. Yeah, the, the video goes on. It's fascinating um, for another uh, couple of minutes. It's really cool to see the super high-end production stuff like that being done on Linux, being done on System76 hardware with the GNOME desktop. I had no idea. Like, I knew that, you know, big companies like Pixar were using Linux, and I knew they had very special applications. I had no idea that uh, that they were using System76 hardware to pull that off, though, so that's incredible. You know, really, you got to think about it. Like, a lot of times we talk, if you want a GPU, if you want a really powerful oh, yeah. GPU. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess there's also a video, the same video is linked on uh, on Vimeo if you have a YouTube version, but I look at that and I think to myself, there is an entire category of um, Linux graphics that we don't really see exposed to us. And mm-hmm. so, um, and I don't really fully understand what Pixar's motivation is in open sourcing mm-hmm. this stuff, but sure, wouldn't it be amazing if one day that kind of stuff trickled down into some of the tools that we use, be it Blender yeah. or I don't know if license yes. compatibility would be an issue or not, but that could be really awesome. So, incredible. Mr. Noah, um, wh- wh- where the hell are you right now? Where are you? I actually do not know where you are at the moment. I, 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 I don't either exactly. Uh, it, it is uh, <laughs> a true uh, RV right uh, there. I, I, have, I, looked up the, I looked up the name of the town, and the, the name of the town is um, C-H-I-L-L-I-C-O-T-H-E. So Chiloth, Chil- Chilicothe. What's it? Be- what's it between that I might know? What's it? Where? where uh, are you it's, it's. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm like two and a half hours out of Columbus, I believe. Okay. And and why are you two and a half hours out of Columbus? For those that didn't listen to user error last week. Oh, uh, so I, uh, I, I, we, we, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I started working with um, uh, a, a guy who uh, maintains all of the technology for a school district um, in uh, West Virginia, and uh, and I was answering some of his questions, and we were going back and forth, and kind of developed a friendship, and said, and said, uh, and and eventually he invited me out, and he's, and well, actually, I think I offered and said I'd be willing to go out there. <laughs> what? And, that doesn't and, sound and, like and, you. Yeah, and 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 just switch all these machines that are running Windows. Let me guess. He must, he must have mentioned at some point a Mac or a, or an iOS device in the workflow, yeah, and then that yeah. would trigger you as you got I, to the iOS to, device. Yeah, 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 it was my trigger word, and so I I, I freaked out and and but but so uh, so but then in the process of like getting all of this planned, I was actually able to give him some suggestions, tell him what software we're using, how we set it up, and and by the time I got here, like actually a lot of the actual work was done, and it was great because then we just spent a little bit of time troubleshooting and a lot of time just hanging out and filming and and and. Seeing Seeing how he has literally pushed Linux everywhere he can in this school district, and is just he's just a great guy, and it was a great fun. It was a ton of fun. Nice. So, That's coming yeah. up, uh, as, uh, and that'll be later on in the show. As someone who's spent a few years working at school districts, as someone who worked in his school's uh, live like morning video production system, I'm and now does this for a living. I'm really fascinated to see where that goes, and 
particular, what particular pieces of uh, open source software they use to glue it all together. You know, first I'm going to mention DigitalOcean. This is where I glue my projects together. DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code. Here's the thing. All one word like you're slurring it and get a $10 credit. You apply that to your account and DigitalOcean just go for it. However you want to use that $10. If you want to use a $5 rig and run it two months for absolutely free or if you want to go hourly and get one of our super powerful machines and pay like three cents an hour, they're Honey Badger. You do it, you just get that $10 applied to your account and use the promo code. Here's the thing. Simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up a server on their infrastructure. That's DigitalOcean in a nutshell, but the secret, the real secret sauce, and they did this before anybody else, all SSDs for their infrastructure, even their block storage, which goes up to 16 terabytes, which you can attach on demand to your rig. Yeah. All SSD. They got great CPUs. They got 40 gigabit e-connections into the hypervisors. They got data centers all over the world. They really did it right when it came to picking their infrastructure. That's what really matters when you're spinning up on someone else's rigs. You can call it the cloud, but call it. But really, think about it. what it really is, and that's why it matters. And that interface to manage it all is so intuitive and simple to use. It's the best, even if it were like a full-fledged desktop application. You're not beating this thing. The API makes it possible to spin up code around that really easily or take advantage of open-source code already written, like Peggy. This is very interesting and something I'm probably going to play with. With one click, you can provision a server on DigitalOcean ready for you to deploy any project from Git. And it's free and open source. So you see something you like on Git, you run it through Peggy, and it spits out a DigitalOcean droplet with that project set up and running. Nice. Yeah. I, That's I mean, incredible. I have not tried That's it incredible. yet, but yeah, yeah. It, it can if you need to use like Apache or an Nginx, or you can do MySQL. You can even you can even dictate which specific versions of PHP you want, and then you add. So the is it only specific projects on GitHub? Or? No, in fact, it can even use your own GitLab server apparently. So it's really wow. cool. I, know, I haven't tried it yet. I was just looking at it this morning. This is an example of applications that just take advantage of their straightforward API. It's nice. Here, here's something. Here's, here's, here's an idea. Why don't we get a Linux API so I can start taking advantage of that on my laptop? <laughs> you know how sick I am of reading instructions on how to get something to work and get them? Peggy is the project. And you can find out more in their uh, – go to their community tab and then the projects. DigitalOcean.com. Go spin up a system. It could be a, a base Linux rig, uh, Fedora, CentOS. Debian, Ubuntu LTS, they have CoreOS, and even, if you like, FreeBSD. I'm just saying. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code. Here's the thing. All one word. And thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. And also, Noah, now that you're a developer. Yes, I'm a developer. I write yeah. code. You, yep. Yep. Uh, you can learn to set up a local programming environment for Python 3 on Ubuntu 16.04 with the latest guide over at DigitalOcean.com. Nice. Yeah. Just for you. I put that in there. DigitalOcean. Thanks, DigitalOcean, for sponsoring Linux Action Show. Say, Chris. Yeah. I I was told by a smart developer that you don't develop on LTSs because they become uh, out of date quickly. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, just so you know. Shh, don't let anybody know. That could, that could ruin the whole thing. If you want to be a developer like me, then you just got to know these things. Okay, yeah, that's true. Okay, okay. good yeah. tip. Good programming tip. Yeah. I got a good tip for you. It's our desktop app pick this week. Everybody loves themselves a a, a, a GIF? Is that how you're supposed to say it? I say GIF. Oh, I'll say GIF. GIF is a peanut butter. I know. That's, that's peanut butter. That's you, everybody loves peanut butter. <clears throat> that's true. I don't, want to, I don't want to mess with peanut butter. This, so why not do, why, why are you recording your screen to MP4s or WebMs or, or OGV, whatever you're doing? I don't know. I, I don't want to judge, but why are you doing that? Why not make it a GIF? A GIF. <laughs> okay. A simple tool called Peak that allows you to record short animated GIFs 
<laughs> of your screen. It only works on X11 at the moment, but Wayland support is in the future. You probably guessed it uses a little FFmpeg and image magic on the background, and uh, it even works with window managers that got that compositing. It's written in Vala, and mm-hmm. uh, as uh, Noah guessed, there is already a AUR package for it. But I don't know if I, you that was I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but it is slick, Noah. It is a cool little tool that you just you can set a box over any area on your screen like you would a regular screen capture utility. And uh, uh-huh. Bob's your uncle, you can record that and render it out to a GIF or a GIF. Boy, I wonder if I'm going to get people really upset. I, I just I mean, that's great. I'm I'm glad the option exists. I think that's really cool. I just I question how useful. I mean, like most of the time when I'm doing a screen Bro, are you even want to use it. Are you I even right even. now? As I Mr. Like, even. I use Telegram for everything. What does Telegram support? Yeah, okay, fine. It supports GIFs with a hard G. Uh, however, the problem with the Telegram is I hate it when people send me GIFs with a hard G in Telegram. No, it's not about I, you. I just, it's not about yeah, you. It's about, it's, it's about, okay, let me give you, okay, I'm going to give you a little, I'm going to give you a demo right now. Because okay. uh, how about you give me a real life example? Yeah, I'm gonna oh, give well, you. I'm gonna give you a real life example right now. Okay, so let's okay. say uh, you ended. This is my gnome desktop, and let's say you ended yep. up. Uh, I like on, your wallpaper. Thank you, thank you. And You're you welcome. ended up on the gnome desktop, and you wanted to know how to add a bookmark to uh, Nautilus. Not that you okay. don't know how to do this, but let's just say that was okay. the scenario, right? All right. Okay. So do you see how there's this transparent window right here that floats over yes. the UI? Mm-hmm. All you got to do is you just size that to be what you want. So I could do it like uh, like this right here. Oh. And then I hit, you hit record, and then what it starts it starts doing its thing. It does a little three-second countdown, and then you simply just, you just do the action you want to do. When you stop, this thing spits out a GIF. And so if somebody's like, hey, Noah, how do I okay, do X, Y, Z? You could record that in two seconds and then drop it in yeah. Telegram and explain them how to do it or post it okay. on G+, or Facebook. I, 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 I changed my mind. I like it now. And the UI is so simple and easy to use. I mean, look at this thing. It's just it's just for a short g- little thing. Yeah. For short little thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah, like it's like screencast light. And it's just peak and it's easy to install. It just uses, you know, pretty much everything that's come standard on a Linux distro. So, uh yeah, and it's uh it's available now in the uh, hey you are in the how you are. The animated the GIF recorder. I think it's kind of cool. P E K. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And you could see, and you know what else is like, that means like on Reddit and stuff too, like if somebody's asking yeah. for support. Yeah. It could, it could also get super annoying. It could also get super annoying. And that's why we're going to find our Zen in a text editor. This is our open source project spotlight for this week. And I don't believe Noah's tried it. I haven't tried it. That's why I put it in the spotlight and not as a desktop epic. But who doesn't love a console-based text editor that looks like it's Maybe a full GUI app. I know. It's crazy, and it's called Micro. Brace yourselves, everybody. Micro is a a text-based terminal editor. What? Yeah, and it aims to be easy and intuitive. What? And also taking advantage of modern capabilities of modern terminals. (laughs) It comes as one single, as we all love, batteries included, static binary. With no dependencies, so you can download and use it right now. Now, you've probably been wondering why the hell I'd pick something like this, and then you saw that UI. Tell me you didn't think for a second there that might have been sublime text in, a, in my, on my desktop. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that is actually pretty legit. And it's in the terminal. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and so when they say support of modern terminals, does that mean I can use my mouse? 
by chance or no? Yes, I actually does think you can use your mouse, as a matter of fact. That's no, so cool. No dependencies, which is kind of cool. Same default, split and tabs, extremely good mouse support. You can drag and drop it's for text selection. You can double click to select by word. You can triple select to select the entire line. It is cross-platform. It has a plug-in, a plug-in system. The plugins are written in Lua. Persistent undo syntax highlighting with over 75 languages, color scheme support. Ooh. And of course, it's tiny with copy and paste uh, support on the system keyboard. Those are all things that I, I like. It. And the UI is I pretty good. It. I don't really have a need for something like this at oh, the moment. Oh, I do. Yeah, I thought oh, some people I might, do. though. Yeah. Yeah, if, if you're running a lower. Well, okay, yeah, actually, what I'm about to say will exemplify why you don't have a, a need for it. But if you run like a, like a, a really old machine, like a really old underpowered machine, the more stuff that you can do in the terminal, the more responsive it's going to be. But then you give up a lot of the, you know, like you, like I said, the, the, the functionality of being able to select things with my mouse and, and so forth. So uh, this kind of splits that it splits that 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 divide really nicely. I think combine it with a windowing, like a, a, you do something like something with Awesome or i three, and you know this could be one of your tiles. But also, what I started thinking mm-hmm. was freaking Quake. Like just drop down a Quake and have a great oh, text editor yeah. in Quake persistent all the time. Then I was kind of like, that's that might be why I would install it. So I'll probably give it a go after the show and mm-hmm. toss it in Quake. And then what I might do is just uh, put the executable in my sync directory and you know, see if that works. If it's mm-hmm. all portable like that. You heard me mention it earlier, so I just wanted to officially mention the next episode of User Air, brand new show launched on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. It's actually two Linux users and the beer. Three. Well, well I, I say the beard. I don't want to classify the beard as any one type of user. I don't. I, I think he's kind of. I think the beard's beyond that. I don't. I don't think you label the beard like that. But he sits in there, and kind of keeps Noah and I in line. I know that is that perfectly fits the beard. So user error, brand new show. You can find it at error dot show. And uh, man, is the feedback crazy great? It's another reason why I'm mentioning it another week because Linux Action Show listeners are loving this. It's like. Hey Chris, really could cool we call him? Could, could we get him? Like, you know how they have you to go to the grocery store, and then you have like the shopping carts for the adults, and then you have the little shopping carts with the little flags that stick up, and it says "shopper in training." Could we get him like a little mini netbook with Linux and say "Linux user in training"? <laughs> See, that's that that's mean though, because like today he was like, "So I'm trying out these different uh, uh, Arch uh, AUR package managers, and I like this one uh-huh. because it does syntax highlighting, and I can use PowerPill to do multi-file download." Right. So I don't really right. feel like it's fair because I'm pretty sure he was standing up Arch <laughs> servers over the weekend. So I don't really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> guess guess who helped me troubleshoot a lot of the OBS stuff this weekend. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's user error is a new show, and uh, man, are we enjoying the hell out of it? And uh, we uh, we invite you to check it out. We have two episodes out right now. That's all of the picks and shenanigans for the top of the show. Let's do the news. It's the news, and this episode is brought to you by Ting.com. Won't you go to last.ting.com? That'll take $25 off your first device. Support the show and learn a little more about the Ting Network. It's mobile that makes sense. It's really simple. You pay for what you use. No contract, no early termination fee. Last.ting.com. Usually your average monthly bill probably around 23 bucks, depending on your usage. It's really nice because it's just think of it like this. You want to, you want to add a tablet. You want to add a phone. You want to add a Raspberry Pi. It's $6 for the line. You can buy a straight, plain old SIM card from Ting directly for like 9 bucks when it's not on sale. Or you can buy a full device. It's 
really nice. No one, I've been using it for years now. And I think I go back to the few times I've had to call customer service. I very much appreciate it. But the number one thing I use really on Ting is their totally kick-ass dashboard. I love this thing. It's super nice to manage my devices, see where they're at, see how many uh, ladies Rekai's been calling on the phone. And, you know, check on all like little things like, when was the last time I paid? How much was those bills? Which way am I trending? Is this bill going to be more expensive than last? It tells you all of those things right there in the control panel. And they have a nice app to manage it all, too. I've been uh, Noah and I just on the pre-show were talking about like getting a getting a new phone, and mm-hmm. I got I got two suggestions now because you were particularly thinking for your wife. Now I don't know about yeah. I know probably this m- might not be the phone for you, but it's such a great deal. I'm going to mention it while it lasts. The Moto E second gen is on sale right now for fifty seven bucks. I know that's mm-hmm. not quite your speed, but fifty seven bucks, dude, for an unlocked no contract Android phone. All right, how about this? But I bought it. I bought a Moto E, mm-hmm. no contract. It's the low budget phone. phone. Yeah, I know. But it's yeah. an, it's you know for fifty seven bucks an Android phone, not bad. Uh, how about this one? How about this one? Moto G four. Now we're stepping it up both in design and performance. Five point five inch full HD display, three thousand milliamp battery, thirteen megapixel camera, no touch whiz. <clears throat> uh, but here's the best part: it's free. If you uh, if you get in the if you give it in the giveaway, you might just win it for free. You have to go subscribe to Ting's YouTube channel, like Ting on the Facebook, and then comment on their unboxing video, which is already posted. They have all the details in their blog. It's on YouTube and on Facebook telling us uh, well, the first thing you'd do if you won the phone. So you got to go there and tell Ting that. Well, look at that. That now a free phone, a Moto G four. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Check them out. Last.ting.com. Go there, support the show, do the savings calculator, see if it works for you. Thanks, Ting, for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Last.ting.com. And damn, 57 bucks for that Moto E no, second dude. gen. No, 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 no. Don't do that. For you and I, I know. I'd never do it for no, me. I no, just, I don't know. I, I, the, I have pretty I got, low the, I got the Nexus on the Ting. I go with the Nexus on the Ting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's what I do. I do the Nexus. But I don't know. Grandma needs a phone. Uncle needs a phone. Somebody wants to do some Pokemon Go. This could be a dedicated Pokemon Go device. I know. I know. <laughs> Not for me. Not for you. But maybe for someone out there. 57 bucks. That's cheaper than a feature phone. That blows my mind. So did you hear about this story? There was a Florida man. Florida man that has powers like no other man to get arrested for hacking into kernel.org. Yeah, Florida man was allegedly hacking into key Linux infrastructure. His name is Donald Ryan Austin. He's 27 years old. He's been charged with four counts of international transmission causing damage to a protected computer. Literally, that's what he's being charged with. Uh, Hmm. After allegedly hacking the Linux kernel organization and the Linux foundation in 2011, you guys. Specifically, he's alleged to have gained unauthorized access to four servers using the credentials of an individual associated with the Linux kernel organization. Mm-hmm. And uh, according to the indictment, in around August 2011, Austin used credentials belonging to JH, a system administrator. Austin allegedly broke into several name servers, including Odin 1, Zeus 1, and Pub 3 as well as Linux kernel organization founder Peter Avin's private email server and installed the Philanix rootkit, a backdoor that would allow him to connect to an infected computer and install additional software on the target, and the eBury Trojan, which harvested credentials of those logging into the infected computers. He also allegedly used unauthorized administrative privileges to insert messages that would display when the servers were restarted. 
Allegedly, one of his goals, according to the government, was to gain access to the software distributed through kernel.org's website, namely the Linux kernel, which is used, by the way, according to them, in computers and other devices all over the world. Back at the time of the attack, the register reported the administrators believed the repositories used to store Linux source code were unaffected by the hack. Um, Also, interesting enough, uh, he's out on bail right now, I believe. Uh, He was released from jail on payment of $50,000 and will have to appear in court in San Francisco on September 21st at 9.30 a.m. If found guilty, he faces a possible sentence of 40 years and $2 million in fines, which I'm sure is easy to raise when you're in jail. Um, Yeah. What do you think of this? For some reason, 40 years and $2 million for being able to get somebody's username and password and then go from there – I yeah. realize let's he got start, into. Let's start with this. Let, let's start with this. He didn't hack anything. He cracked something. But he and did kind we'll of start hacking right once he got in. Like he started. No, he no. started installing Trojans and collecting credentials and. I I I just I just I I I fundamentally disagree with their definition of hacking. You yeah. and I are hackers. We hack on the computer, right? And there's that's that's very different from somebody that's doing something malicious and illegal on the computer. That's So I I I object to their their phraseology to begin with. But aside from that. Yes, I agree with you. We're going to put somebody in jail for 40 freaking – first of all, if we're going to segregate somebody from society to begin with, I would like to believe that that's because somebody is a dangerous individual. Somebody is, is a violent or dangerous individual. You know? and, and, then, and then on top of that, I, I, I think that in addition to not just how serious the compromise was, you have to look at what – steps did he take and how right. how much time and effort and that kind of thing you start talking about somebody who breaks into a home and steals mm-hmm. uh, credentials that are in somebody's exactly. drawer in their desk that's mm-hmm. a more serious violation if right. i happen to know jim's login or i guess jim's login that's mm-hmm. not as serious of a violation now exactly. I, I do want to keep in scope here we are talking about the effing linux kernel and it would have been so super disastrous PR-wise for Linux, if even if it didn't ship once, but if the Linux kernel had been compromised in such a way, like something got inserted, or which wasn't going to happen. But let's just say right. there was something to raise concern, either about downloads or something. That would have been a massive PR blunder and a big feather in the cap of everybody's like, well, commercial development's more secure because it's a secret. That would have been a big feather in their cap. So I'm glad yeah. that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, 40 years will that it will imagine he's 27 years old mm-hmm. that the next 40 years of his life are are some of the most important format form, formidable adult years yeah, they might of someone sent him to, to life in jail because by the time he gets out yeah you know i mean he, i mean that's time that's time where an individual could get could have an entire life of experiences of careers and family and all yeah. of that and be in the second phase of it all or something like it's it's really it's really unfortunate and and the fact that he had to pay fifty thousand dollars and all of it i i don't i don't condone <laughs> you know, hacking the links kernel but yeah, I don't either. But I think fifty thousand dollars—that seems to me to be a more reasonable sentence. If that's all it extended to, yeah, right? and I understand yeah. that it was just a bail or whatever. But yeah. but if that something something along those lines, you know, I, I could kind of I could kind of see it. But yeah, when you start getting anything past like five years for something that didn't even happen, seems uh, for something like that was easy beyond way excessive. That's yeah. something else to consider. Is all of the damage was done digitally and it was all reversible. It's not like he went and permanently marked right. like the Picasso or something like that. It's, exactly. It, so that's also something to t- it's it, and uh, yeah. just to touch on your point about but the we whole, had to click edit undo. 
Right. Just to touch on your whole hacker thing versus cracker thing, man, I yeah. wish that was a – I think that was a battle we lost years ago in the media. That was yeah. something that – we tried to fight that battle and pff, they just steamrolled over what the definition yeah. of hacker meant. I just haven't let go of it. We also apparently can't get over what the definition of a Trojan is versus – uh, a CMS worm, but we're mm-hmm. gonna. I'm gonna bust this down a little bit. There, you may be seeing news over the next couple of weeks about <laughs> Linux.rex.1, a new Linux Trojan that creates a P2P network for command and control. Yeah, uh, security researchers have discovered a new Linux Trojan dubbed Linux Rex One, and it self spreads. Dun dun dun. Panic! 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 Security researchers from Dr. Webb discovered the new Linux Trojan, and the threat was designed to infect web servers that use a certain content management system, CMS. Mm-hmm. Well, is it a Linux Trojan or is it a CMS Trojan? If it's spreading by by broken CMSs, then it's right. and, it's, and in this it's case, only and it's only and the only computers that are vulnerable are ones with a specific CMS installed. I believe this case is Drupal. So um, you have to have an unpatched version of Drupal. It's not really. Now, here's where it becomes a Linux Trojan. And this is actually the interesting parts. So once Mm -hmm. it gets on the system, the payload that runs is written in Go, which is there's not a lot of malware written in Go. So that's pretty interesting. There's like one other that I'm really familiar with. Uh, and it provide, it, once it's on the Linux box, it starts doing a whole range of stuff targeted at Linux. So this is kind of where they get away with it, uh, including sending out spam messages, launching denial of service attacks, and then, of course, spreading itself over this peer-to-peer network. And the spam messages that it sends out are fake ransomware notices that look like they're coming from the website. So you get like an email from jupiterbroadcasting.com saying your files have been encrypted. Go here to pay in Bitcoin, and you go pay in the Bitcoin, you get nothing because nothing's ever actually been encrypted. Uh, the botnet composed of machines affected by this uh, Linux Rex one establish this peer-to-peer system. Each node of the malicious network is able to share data with peers by using a protocol implemented by the malware's authors. <laughs> so their own protocol. Uh, that's pretty neat. Once the Trojan's launched, the computer starts operating as one of the network nodes. The malware program receives directives over the HTTPS protocol and then sends them to other botnet nodes if necessary. So it's like it can be like a mesh network type thing. You can get one that's talking to the internet. Secure, though. They're doing that very securely. Yeah. They've implemented this They're very probably well. using Let's Encrypt. Uh, <laughs> if necessary, when commanded by the cyber criminals, Linux Rex 1 starts, uh, starts or stops a, D- a DDoS attack against a specific IP. So you go out there, you get all these machines on your botnet, they're controlled over P2P, and then... You can direct them on DDoS attacks. I guess that's kind of interesting. And the Bitcoin thing's kind of interesting, too. It's kind of being overlooked in the reports, uh, you know, wanting ransom for something that doesn't actually exist. But in reality, once again, Noah, we got ourselves one of those. It's a Linux Trojan. It's Linux malware. It's taking out Linux exactly. servers. And it's exactly it's, it's actually really doesn't have all that much to do with Linux. No, no, because it could write something just like this once it got on a Windows box if they're doing that. Right. So. Um, yeah, I just want to do a little, a little hey, bit of paranoia you know busting. These guys, they actually seem to be decent coders. Is their code available on GitHub? Because we, here's what we could do. Here's what we could do, okay? I got an idea. We could take their code and we can modify it and make like JB Satcom slaves and have that spread around. Then people could rebroadcast Jupyter Broadcasting content. We could make our own peer-to-peer broadcast network using Linux malware. It's that brilliant. would be sweet. What could yeah. go wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> Curious about your thoughts on this one. OpenOffice, after, quote-unquote, years of neglect, as the register puts it, could shut down. OpenOffice management is considering retiring the project. No more OpenOffice. Yeah. I'm shocked. 
Well, there are apparently not enough developers. The project leader is particularly worried about the ability to fix security problems. In July, yeah, Open Office... OpenOffice issued an advisory about a security vulnerability, and there's no fix. The problem could let attackers craft denial service attacks and execute arbitrary code. One of the workarounds suggested by the OpenOffice project was to use LibreOffice or mm-hmm. Microsoft Office. Mm-hmm. This is what happens. This is what happens when you as a company think you're going to take over an open source project and then cast it to the wayside and say, well, we now own this thing and we'll just have it exist. Here's what's going to happen. All the people that are maintaining it and developing it, they're not going to come work for you. They're going to fork that project and make a better project. And then they'll go work over here and let your project die a slow, sad, lonely yeah. death. I, mean, Libre I don't Office, know anyone that still uses OpenOffice. Yeah, LibreOffice has all the momentum. Well, so OpenOffice was downloaded more than 29 million times in 2015. For a cumulative total of more than 160 million downloads since May of 2012, just according to stats that are available on the website. Sure. 160 million people, apparently. Now, who knows if they're still using Uh, it? It's more than... Yeah, well, that's more than I would have guessed. I wonder how many of those people, because I used to do this back, and this was probably not all that long ago, I would download... Open Office, and then realized that wasn't the one I, I meant. The LibreOffice, but it just—it's ten years of calling it Open Office, and you know when I hit the the you know the the super key and type writer, doesn't matter which one's installed, both of them you know open up. But it, it just takes me a little bit if I'm on a machine that doesn't have yeah. LibreOffice to go get Open Office, and so and so I wonder how many of those people did that and went, well, why is this different than the other one? Oh, this is a different thing. And you know, don't ask me, man. I'm still trying to install Star Office, so don't ask me. This next story is not really to poke fun at the GNOME project, but man, does it suck when this happens, especially to an open source project. You remember a few weeks back, I talked about the GNOME Maps API getting yanked out. Mm-hmm. and the, yep. Yeah, well, it turns out now uh, the GNOME Weather API got pulled. So now GNOME Weather is broken. And uh, it's, it's really kind of a shame. So GNOME Maps and GNOME Weather both have recently had bad setbacks with online providers. And maybe it's just time to acknowledge that... Um, these we APIs. Be so many online services into our local desktops. Yeah, these APIs that it's okay if it's not open source because it has an API. That only is good for as long as they want it to have an API. Just six weeks ago, GNOME Maps could no longer display maps. Now, earlier this week, GNOME Weather was hit with a similar issue when the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration of the U.S. NOAA shut down the Weather API critical to GNOME Weather. According to details posted on the NOAA website, the Meteor API endpoint that GNOME Weather depended on was discontinued four years ago and then was just shut down completely this week. Four years ago. Uh, and, and the author of the uh, article here where I'm reading from says that GNOME Maps and Weather are clearly not built for failure. And this is something we've talked about on Coda Radio. When the APIs they depend on disappeared, users were left with a completely useless app. GNOME Weather does fetch forecast data up to a few days in the future – and this data could have been cached and displayed along with a warning about it being slightly out of date since the user's device is offline or the API was unavailable. This would have at least helped provide users with a better experience than just forecast is unavailable and it's a blank screen. That's a really good point too is not only do we need to think about how we're using these APIs, but like with maps, do they need to be proxied? With weather, does the data need to be cached? That way if you can't connect to the API, you still have something to display. It's like we have to kind of be rethinking how we're using some sure. of the services. And uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, the GNOME project is sort of front and center and publicly learning from those experiences. How about a little transition from our friends, our cousins across the pond, if there was like a Linux, Unix. You've seen those maps where like, the different territories of Linux yeah. and it's like a world map. There's like yeah. another planet. 
that's like within oh. our range, and that's the BSD planet. It's a little strange over there, sometimes echoey a bit, but they have themselves a little bit of a transition, and I think it's worth mentioning on the show because it's a project we've covered. PC- Are they switching to Linux? <laughs> PCBSD is turning into True OS. True OS, Noah. Uh, it kind of needed a new name. Well, I think I disagree with you there um, because uh, I, I don't know. I, I realize that there's a true OS server and all of that, and so it's kind of making the true OS desktop and true OS server more directly related. True is a super generic word, and OS is a super generic word, both of which are going to have horrible SEO, neither one of which make me think of BSD. And it it also – and this is – I've thought about this. And I, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm projecting here when I say this. Um, uh-huh. I think it betrays a little bit of insecurity about the nature of the OS as it is a good desktop. And what I'm trying to say is the name True OS. It sort of speaks to the echo chamber nature of people that work on the B- on the BSD desktop to begin with. Like oh. all of these things are work great on the BSD desktop until you realize that most of them that I would want, I have to install a Linux transition layer, or most of them aren't necessarily available yet, or et cetera, et cetera. Now, there are many workloads where it is a fantastic desktop, and I think TrueOS slash PCBSD is the best of the best of them. But I think there are oftentimes there's these strange limitations you run into when you switch to a BSD desktop that people afterwards go, oh, yeah, that's coming down the road. That's coming down the road. And... Mm -hmm. I think the name TrueOS sort of betrays a little bit of that. And there's also a couple other changes they've made that I think are also very telling and perhaps potentially risky, even though they could make for huge um, feature differentiators. So TrueOS, one of the major features as part of this transition is they're moving to a rolling release. Hmm. It's going to be based on free BSD current. I'm not a big BSD person, but I, my understanding is that's sort of like basing your OS on Debian testing. So or Rawhide, Fedora Rawhide potentially, but maybe not quite as turbulent. I, I, I think that if they got away from the name of BSD, I don't think that would be a bad thing. <clears throat> I think sometimes that, that PCBSD gets a bad rap simply because people go, oh, BSD, that's like the less popular version of Linux. And, if, and, if, and I think that, that sets them up <clears throat> from the get-go as an unfair comparison because we're not, ac- we're not accurately evaluating it is an op- as a desktop operating system, we, yeah, just, maybe. we come in with a lot of preconceived notions. I, I, well, at least I don't. I, I, right away when I hear PCBSD, I'm like, oh, so they're taking BSD, which kind of mostly belongs on a server, and then trying to turn it into a desktop operating yeah, system. Yeah, I, I That's agree like with the you there. I fought 10 years ago with Linux. Yeah, I think you're right about the name. The, the PCBSD name sort of was getting a little old. It's kind of an mm-hmm. alphabet sandwich, too, so I'm like putting a lot of that you know in my mouth when I'm saying it. and uh, It does kind of um, conjure up pictures of like Intel Pentium processors. You know, and things that are more desktop oriented, not necessarily laptop, netbook oriented. And I think they're they're trying to change that. Uh, of course, a couple other things that they're working on is they're going to have uh, weekly ISO updates. Only one mm-hmm. package repository update when you're ready. Never get left behind. They say automatic updates can be enabled or disabled. And uh, TrueOS is going to use Qt5 for the Lumina desktop. But here's another interesting thing they're working on. They say it's early days. But they're working on Docker support, which I thought was kind of fascinating. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. And on the same lines, uh, FreeNAS has a beta out while we're talking about this. FreeNAS beta 10 is out. Also some work on Docker support here. Of course, they call it also early days. But check this out. Look at this new UI they have for FreeNAS. Brand new dark oh, wow. theme UI. Wow. 
Wow. Currently only works in Chrome, so but they're working. They say cross-browser support will be coming in a future beta. That's incredible. Yeah, that looks way and, better. And in FreeNAS, in FreeNAS, they're going to deliver the plugins. They're going to switch over, I think, over a transition period. They're going to switch over so that the plugins use Docker. Mm-hmm. So they're going to kind of redo the plugin system eventually. I don't know if they're going to support both for a while or how that works. But eventually, when you go to install a plugin on on FreeNAS, it'll be inside a Docker container. And they say the long term, this is going to open it up to just an enormous amount of, of plugins eventually. Gotcha. Uh, if it runs in a Docker container, it'll now run on a FreeNAS rig. And they say that their FreeNAS in the post is getting put into more and more DevOps type positions. And they want people to be able to spin up containers on a FreeNAS rig. You put, you know, you picture it. You go get a FreeNAS Mini XL. You throw it in a small office of like 35, sure. 45 people. And you got sure. five people on your team that are doing development, 10 people on your team doing development. You spin up some containers for them on a FreeNAS box. It's a nice reinvestment in your hardware. You're probably getting something yep. that's kind of fast anyways if you've got a ton of storage. So it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be a big transition for them. But that could be mm-hmm. huge eventually. Um, oh, I agree. Yeah, man, this big release. It's a bit, both for True OS now and FreeNAS. A couple of big releases, and here I am uh, testing out Open Media Vault. I'm looking at this new UI, and I'm going, "Oh, damn!" FreeNAS yeah, just took it up yeah, a notch. And here's, yeah, and here's the other problem you you fight is the while they have improved the FreeNAS UI, I never have to use the FreeNAS UI enough for me to care what it looks like That's because true. I just installed the first That's time true. and it just works. Yeah, I don't think and, I've logged into FreeNAS, and I almost probably haven't logged into mm-hmm. FreeNAS over almost a year, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Probably less yeah. than that, but yeah, you're right. However, when you're first setting it up, it's super important. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't think they shouldn't do it. I think it looks great. I'm glad they did. I'm just saying and that it, it's just, you know. if they transition to Docker for plugins where you might be deploying more application stacks and spinning more things up, you might be mm-hmm. spending more time in that UI. And one of the things they're putting front and center, which is generally not a big issue on free NAS rigs, is, but look what they're putting front and center is all of these bar graphs. Your CPU sure. usage, your, your load average, disk I.O., memory allocation, network traffic. Uh, they're even putting some uh, some ZFS stats in here like the ARC uh, d- demand and things like that for the ZFS cache, which is really cool. Sure. I, I think it's neat if this thing's going to end up doing a lot more work uh, improving yeah. the UI because uh, you might end up in there a lot more. Yeah, for sure. And it makes it a damn – I think it's going to eventually make it even more competitive. However, Open Media Vault 3.0 is almost out, and it's going to be a pretty refined product. And this could be a bumpy transition for them. You know what I mean? Like this could this, – this new UI and all that mm-hmm. could take a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for so sure. So we shall see. We shall see. But anyways, we, uh, we'll follow both of these with some interest. I was trying to find out – let's see. FreeNAS 10 is based on FreeBSD 10.3. FreeBSD 10.3. So there you go. I was trying to figure that out before we wrapped up. Okay. So uh, congratulations to our cousins, our BSD cousins over there. I, You know what? I, I kind of poo-poo the name a little bit. It's not my favorite, but I think it's probably better than PCBSD, which is also pretty generic and does kind of conjure up old stuff. So I think you're probably right, Noah. I'll ch- I'll, I'm sure I'll learn to love it over time. You know, when new stuff comes up the first year, I was like, ugh. But over time, I'll figure it out. And, you know, when they release that new version – might be worth us giving it a little bit of a try because it got the Lumina desktop with the ZFS snapshot integration based on FreeBSD rolling. I'd be really – I've never tried a rolling FreeBSD install before. I give yeah, that a I'm go too. I'm totally up for a yeah. of it. Yeah. So maybe, we'll, maybe when, it, when, they hit, uh, when they hit final, we'll do a little PC – or I'm sorry, a little true OS review here on the show even though it's technically not Linux. <gasps> Controversy ensues. That is all for this week for the news, I guess. Now let's go back to school.
I'm not going to say how long it's been since I was in middle school doing exactly what these kids are getting set up to do right now, but it was one of my favorite things ever, and it was ridiculous with big old cameras and wires that went everywhere to this closed-circuit television system. It was a mess, and at the same time, we all really enjoyed ourselves. So when I heard from Noah that he was going out somewhere to help them get set up to run Linux to do something very similar, I thought... Yeah, Noah, that's definitely going to make great show content. So I can't wait to talk to him about that. But first, I want to thank the people that made this segment possible in the first place, and that's Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplug to support the show and to learn more. Check out their features page where you can learn about their labs and exercises where they have hands-on scenario-based labs that get you in the middle of a real-world experience so you walk away feeling like you actually know how to do that thing. Think about that. That's one of the, When it comes to work or tests, one of the moments that I am the most anxious is when it's a new thing for me and I've never done that before and I don't have it all figured out yet. And when I have to tell my client or my employer that, yeah, I can do that because conceptually I know it, but I've never actually done it before, that is one of the most nerve-wracking moments for me in any kind of client or employment situation not not even just for taking tests, but same thing applies there too. And that's what I really like about the hands-on experience at Linux Academy. Plus, they have instructor mentoring available when you need it. They have nuggets where you can deep dive into a single topic, study tools like guides and audio and all those kinds of like notes and stuff that you might find useful when you're training. They're downloadable. You can take them with you. They're great. They have lab servers that spin up on demand. Note cards that can be forked by the community, and the community is packed full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. And they have iOS and Android apps where you can just jump in and jump out when you have a little bit of time. And speaking of time, if you're super busy, take advantage of their availability planner that allows you to customize the coursework exactly how much time you have. It turns out computers are smart enough to figure that out. <laughs> so why not take advantage of it? LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. And thank you, everybody, for going to LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged and learning more about them and maybe just visiting, help support the show too. I don't know, man. It, it was a long time ago. It was the 90s, uh, which I know. From some of you, that's not long, so long ago. For some of you, weren't born yet watching. And we had this really hokey manual system that eventually transitioned into these Macs with these crazy add-on boards. And that's kind of when I start, started losing interest. Uh, and I could only imagine, move that technology forward, I would have to, I would have to picture the Mac involvement and now iOS devices involvements might be one of the go-to setups for a school that wants to have like a video broadcast of the Daily Bulletin or work on some sort of media production as part of an educational curriculum. And I can imagine as somebody like you, Noah, if you had an opportunity to intervene and change the direction of that technology stack, you probably jumped at it. So can you back up and kind of recap for people who didn't catch user error, like what has transpired over the last few days? Where did you end up? And uh, then I know we have some footage to roll. I try to make myself available to anyone that writes into the show, jupiterbroadcasting.com, clicking on the contact link. And so they're asking a quick question. And if, it's, you know, if, they, if they have a comment to make, you know, then obviously we either read that on the air or I just we read it and nod and move on. Um, <laughs> but every so often somebody asks a, a question that, that isn't necessarily, you know, necessarily show content to answer it, but <clears throat> definitely want to get them an answer to their question. And so I did. I reached out and he, he was asking about how we are doing some of the specifics with the broadcasting you know, system that we, that we do for JB. And I said, sure. So I kind of outlined a little bit for him. And then he emailed me back and he goes, well, actually, I was thinking about doing some consulting. Do you have any advice for that? And so emailed him some advice there. And uh, and then as the school year started to pick back up, he reached out to me again and he goes, you know, I've been trying to get this work and here are the problems I'm having and I, and I just can't get it to work. And I said, all right, I tell you what, I'm really sorry. I don't have time to deal with this right now. 
but I will be home later tonight, and I will replicate your system exactly how you've described it, and I will walk through and figure out how to solve the problems that you're having, and then I'll let you know. So I did that, and I wasn't able to come up with an answer I was really happy with. Hmm. And so, uh, and just, you know, it's actually brief enough that I can tell you, basically what it was, was they only had access to one machine, and so he was trying to mirror the output of OBS Back into display. itself? But what would happen is when he would play like a video for VLC, VLC's audio would go out of the system yeah. audio. Yeah. And it would also be brought into OBS, and that would go out. Now, if you mute, mute either one of those, you mute the system audio, you lose it. the TV can't hear it. Yeah. You mute OBS audio, the stream can't hear it. So uh, you, neither would really work. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I found a hack. It, it, Rakai, actually. I, me, like I do anything. But the beard. Rakai helped me. The beard helped me find a solution. And so, uh, you know, I relayed that to him. And so it kind of worked. Um, and eventually I said, you know, man, go find yourself a second computer. And th- this solves all your problems. So that's what he did. And, uh, and, and I said, I tell you what, I, you try and find another computer. And I will start working on a plan to come out there and, uh, and, and, and fix this problem. And it's you. how many miles and, from your house exactly? Uh, well, 1,320, I think. Is so the, about is 20 hours of driving. Yeah, yeah. Google Maps said seventeen. It took us twenty-seven. But it, yeah, that's that's it, because you're pulling. If you see, it makes it when you're pulling uh, when you're pulling an well, RV, it it steals time because you and you gotta you gotta go slower. But then when yeah. you got family with you, you gotta stop more. Yeah, that's oh, I know. That's the big problem oh, I keep running into. That I mean, the RV thing that might have added like two hours. The other eight were uh, yeah. Yes. Anyway, uh, so so it's uh, so anyway. So about like Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, I get this I get this this telegram, and it says Noah. I'm really sorry, uh, but I don't think uh, you're going to have to come out here because uh, I was super excited to meet you and I was like, super excited to work all this stuff out. But if I'm being perfectly honest with you, we got a lot of these problems. Uh, we got a lot of the problems solved. And so uh, there's a couple little issues. That they're really no big deal. Well, by this time, I've already uh, may, might have been before that. Now, maybe I'm not giving enough, enough credit. You might have let me know like a week ahead of time. But it was past the point where I had already made plans with my family to go out and I had already made the arrangements at work. And, and it was a long weekend. And so we we're kind of looking forward to it. And I said, you know what? Um, then we'll just come out and document it because it's still good show yeah, content. Yeah. This is the kind of thing when you're changing, you're fundamentally changing the lives and future of these kids. That's something that we want to be but, a part of. But full wanna... stop. How awesome is it that he figured it out on his own too? Like that's yeah, well, huge. I mean, and that with... speaks that speaks to obviously your assistance, but obviously um, the fact that the technology is getting there too where it's not this but... crazy arcane black magic where you have to have been do- doing it for five years. The technology is there. The other thing, though, too, and and, and you know, I think that, uh, and I think that every employer should be should pay attention to what I'm going to say next, and that is that sometimes you have employees like Chris, who we're going to talk to, who go so far above and beyond that the, that the school district. I don't think they really understand who they're employing, and I don't yeah. think they really fully comprehend yeah. the, the, what he's doing because he's taking this stuff home on his own personal time, with his own personal equipment, on his own personal funds, figuring all of this stuff out, and then bringing it into the school or suggesting the school this is the thing that you need to buy yep. to make it work. That and was he's doing that all out of his passion. That was what I loved about working at a school district. That's that was what that's why when I left, I went away for a few years, and then came when I when I quit like corporate America. America's type jobs, and I was like, I'm sick of this. Sure. I want to go somewhere where it's it's not like so. It's not just so heads down intense. It's more about enjoying it. And I went back to the school district because the people there, some of sure. them, just a couple of them, uh-huh. really just went above and beyond because they wanted to. And it was a great right. place if you have a creative technology itch to scratch, uh, uh, and you can work within certain limitations. It was a great place to do that. So this guy's name is yep. Chris, and yep. uh, what we're about to see is you visiting him. Uh, and kind of going over their brief setup, then giving yes. like the actual like down to the wire explanation of it and right. all of that. So we'll get a walkthrough now of their Linux powered setup. Some of this might 
some of the additional details may come up. We might have mentioned a couple things already. They're in there. And uh, I'm, I've seen parts of this, but I'm looking forward to it. Are you ready for me to roll it? Ready to go. All right. So now we go back to Noah from yesterday at – where are you again? What, what is the uh, – middle, middle school inside of uh, Charleston, West Virginia. There you go. Okay. Here we go. <clears throat> Take it away, Pastor Noah. Take it away. Well, this time I've done it. This segment – they put me back in middle school. I'm with here with my friend Chris, and he was kind enough to take us into the place, his employment, and show me a little bit about what they're doing here in the middle school. See, now, when they asked Chris to help their students come up with a way to do their morning announcements, Chris didn't just settle for the, hey, let's just use Skype and Skype from one machine to another, and then we can send that over out over the school's network, TV network. No, 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 no. Chris said, I'm going to build a whole Linux lab. And and I'm going to put OBS all up in this business, and we're going to get those kids streaming live using proper freedom-respecting software. Thanks so much for being with here with us, Chris. Thank you, Noah. Hey, we appreciate it. And, th- and by the way, thank you for the amazing food. Chris had us uh, had my myself and my wife out. He grilled for us, and I think my kids are out there actually having a bonfire right now and hanging out while we're here geeking out. We 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 got here. And uh, and at first, like, we each sit down at a computer almost kind of, like, naturally, and then he kind of digs into his thing, and I dig into mine, and then we look up, and we're like, so we should probably do the segment now. Um, but it's been super fun hanging out, so thanks a lot for having us out here. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for coming. I'm really excited that you're here. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Well, I want to go take a look at this OBS thing. So obviously, if you, if you didn't, if you couldn't tell, you haven't figured it out yet. This is where the, the children sit every morning when they do their announcements. Um, and now we're going to go take you back and show you what the setup looks like and how Chris has gotten all of this to work. All right, so we're back at their technical control operation. This is where the production for the entire school happens. And Chris has up here. So explain to us how many machines we have, Chris. Well, we only have two. We have uh, this uh, broadcasting machine here and then a laptop that connects to the RTMP stream and puts the, the uh, video and audio out to the school. Okay, now we'll go back and get into some of the, like, the cable connections here in a minute. But the, So this computer over here is acting both as the, the switching and broadcasting computer as well as it's actually hosting the RTMP server. Is that right? Correct. Okay, and this is basically just a, a media player. Yes, yeah, just a dumb terminal that's running VLC mainly. Okay, and so again, we'll go through how this computer connects out to the TV, but I guess all the magic really happens on this machine. So can you kind of walk me through? So first, can you tell us kind of what they were doing the last couple of years? Well, the last couple of years, they uh, they had a different laptop sitting here that they were running uh, Windows 7 on and using Skype. Mm-hmm. And then out there on the uh, camera stand, they had an iPod that was Skyping to this machine and they would just do it live and most of their broadcasts were only like three minutes. So that was the, that was the so, extent of it. So they were using an iPod mounted on a tripod to, right. uh, to as, as their camera. Okay. So show us what we have going on now. Well, now we have a, um, um, yes, thank you. Okay. Uh, sitting on the iPod on the tripod over there and, mm-hmm. Basically, it just it just sits there. It has the audio and the video in it. The kids sit in front of it. They do their announcements. They start the stream. Excuse me. They start the stream. They start reading their announcements. Um, so so th- that so that's capturing both the video and audio. Then it's bringing it back into this device and then or in, into OBS. And I see that you have a number of different uh, graphic things. So you're doing all of the lower thirds and stuff as well. Yes, correct. Uh, every morning, they the different students that sit down there, they have one that sits back here, and they'll change the uh, the names 
for whatever student's sitting there. And so I guess my the reason I'm asking you that question is because what, what you're telling me, if I'm understanding you correctly, is that um, these students are coming in and they're sitting down and they are learning how to make changes in production uh, to a system that is based on Linux and respects their freedom when it comes to open source. If any of these students go home and they're like, hey, mom and dad, I want to do my own little broadcast here at home, they have all the tools at the ready for them because they've already been using them here at school and they're available to them free at home, right? Absolutely. See that that I think that's cool. I, you're definitely this is this is where I want my kids to get their education. All right. Well, uh, so that I mean, this basically we've covered this a couple of different times on the show. You know, basic switching and stuff. So now let's take. I want to go behind here and I want you to show me what all of these connections do and how you're actually getting this to, to all the TVs throughout the high school. Okay, we're at the part that probably most of the geeks in the audience want to see. What do all the wires do? Well, right here is the wire that goes over the wall into the server room next door, and it is connected to a system called ZV. Okay. And it has the audio and the video into it. And the ZV system picks a channel on the local school's cable and broadcasts to that. So gotcha. all the student or all the teachers out in the classroom at announcement time turn on whatever channel it is. I'm sorry, I don't know. They turn on that channel, mm -hmm. and then they're waiting for the announcement, and then the students start the announcement, and when it's done, we then broadcast a um, PowerPoint presentation, thank you, okay. of uh, a summary of the day's announcement so they can tune to, the, tune to that any time throughout the day. But essentially, that's all this is, is audio and video coming out of, coming out of the laptop, and during the, during the day, they actually stream audio with this little box right here off of a, I hate to say it, iPod, but that's what they have available to them. Okay. You use what you have. So I think the interesting part here is not necessarily the, the, uh, the actual software, the fact that they're, the fact that Linux is here. I think we all kind of expected that when we said that a school is going to be running Linux and OBS. The cool thing here is that these students are getting an experience and they are getting, they are learning from the ground up on a platform and a software solution that they can implement for the rest of their lives and go on to have professional careers. If, for example, the next Jupiter Broadcasting host is attending the school right now and they're growing up and they're, they're saying, I'm going to learn how to do a podcast, they can learn how to do that and those tools are provided. They don't have to go buy a $2,500 Mac Pro. They don't have to go buy a $900 copy of some special software. All they need is a webcam and a little bit of willingness and people like Chris who are willing to give of his time and troubleshoot all this stuff at home, figure all this stuff out, and then bring it here for these kids to use. So thanks so much for having us here, and thanks for showing us this really cool setup. And I hope to, the next time I come back here, the school has even more Linux than it does today. Well, thank you. No, I appreciate it. And incidentally, the high school is now wanting to copy this setup. <laughs> Stay tuned for episode two. Now, right after this, then he took us to his office, and he was kind of showing us around, and, and, and I, and I, I kind of looked, and I was like, okay, I'll just focus on the Linux part of your, uh, your office. I'll ignore your Windows machine. And uh, then right after that, as I was calling him out on it, kind of, he goes, uh, what are you talking about? And I said, your window's right here. And he goes, windows uh, right there in the middle. I can see the Windows logo. And he grabs exactly. the mouse. And he's like, yeah, let me, let me show you something. Oh, and he, he pulls it down. Is it VM? And minimizes the virtual, but yeah, it's just so a, he's yeah. got so he's his got, entire office is running Linux. It's a four monitor four setup. Yep. Look yep. at that. That yeah, is awesome. Yeah, but 
Yeah, but, and like I said, I'm not sure the school district fully appreciates uh, and realizes his true potential uh, as an employee because he is going so far beyond. You know, like they, they, they uh, you know, they're going through and they're like, we need to update all the Windows computers. And he's like, yeah, uh huh. Let me show you what else we could do with the computers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, that is certainly a good point. It's not. It doesn't stop there, though. I bet they are not fully grokking the value they're getting out of OBS. Can we just take a second here exactly. and acknowledge the barriers yeah. for Linux at OBS? is blowing down at, at like an amazing yes. pace. What an important project for media production OBS is. Holy crap, mm. or OBS as they like to call it. Um, yeah. And then also, I sincerely doubt they understand the value they're getting out of the Ubuntu Mate desktop there, which right. obviously was his desktop preferred choice there. Makes a yeah. great use on lower end, sometimes cheaper educational hardware. I mean, mm-hmm. just checks all the boxes. This is this is this is a check all right. the boxes kind of episode of Linux Action Show. Is, you know what I noticed though in that in that clip is they've got all this great new technology. They got they they got a green screen. They got they got themselves uh, OBS. They got Linux, mm-hmm. Ubuntu Mate, mm-hmm. and then at the end of all of that, it still goes into a rat's nest of wires and goes into a closed circuit television system where the teachers turned turned to channel three just like they did when I was in middle school. Yeah, exactly. Back in the nineties, so that probably part, the same system that was in place back, you know, back in the nineties. Probably just upgraded, the same wiring. <laughs> Yeah, yeah honestly, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, so uh, if you guys uh, are curious about Linux in education, open source in education, check out the show notes. we got, uh, obviously, links to OBS. But what's the ZTV? What's the VZVTV? What's that, that- Noah? ZVTV is the device that uh, that takes a computer input and then RF modulates it over mm. a specific channel. Okay. So uh, my, my thought process is, and I was explaining this to Chris too, every time we do a segment like this, 10, 15, 10, 15 people write in and go, I'm the director of technology at my school and I want to implement this. How, do I, how, did, how did he do that? Yeah. Um, and so we're, you know, I'll show you step by step everything that you So that's how they're taking the is, OBS feed out and putting it into the closed? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you put that in there. Um. <clears throat> Now, can we get into a little bit of a fight, you and I? Yes. Uh, yes. I, you, you once again are running around like uh, some sort of lunatic spreading misinformation about the C920, and I don't understand why. Because, what did uh, I say? Uh, I believe we are all supposed to be worshipping at the feet of the new, ni- or, uh, the new 930E, C930E uh-huh. webcam, and uh, okay. not your uh, broken 920. So uh, Okay. I thought but we had uh, this. Uh, first of all, what... First of all, what did I? I, we, I bought a C930, uh, but I don't understand. First of all, the C920 has a tighter uh, has a tighter picture, and the C930 is much wider. Yeah. So you have to get the camera like right in the person's face for, for the 930. So th- that's one thing that I like about the C920 over the C930. And then the second thing is there's a there's a pretty decent price drop. I mean, the C920. Which one are you on right now? Which one are you on right now? 930. 930. This is 930. This is the one. I think it looks, I think I think I like the flatter aspect. I see. I think the flatter, the flatter aspect ratio of the 930C is more professional. Whereas the uh-huh. 920 has a webcam look to it. It has, I mean, also the lighting matters a lot. Like if, if you had studio yeah. grade lighting in your travel trailer right now, people would legitimately not know. Right on <clears throat> they would not know you're on a webcam. Honestly, it really yeah. is that good. Yeah. So that's why I like it. Plus, uh, it's the newer model. Um, that's also a good thing. I, having bought a few of them, that's my preferred, but, uh, oh, I think the Poe's coming for you, Noah. <laughs> for the, have you told the people listening where you're actually at physically? You're in a parking lot right now. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm parked, I'm parked in a strip mall, so I, 
pretend no, they're going away. Yeah, okay. So, as long as they're so not there are three bad, there are three there are three bad things that could happen to me. One is the business owners around the strip mall could come out and tell me to leave, which would put a wrinkle in the episode. The second thing uh, is I might cook to death. But the third thing, and arguably the most uh, uh, scary, is that I had to leave my my vehicle running because I've got uh, small animals in it, and um, and I had to keep the, that that on in the air conditioning. But when I, the way that my Jeep is, I can't lock the cargo area with the keys running. So if anyone climbs in the back of my Jeep and takes off, I am physically connected to it, and I will just go with them so whether I want to or not. If Noah starts swaying back and forth, yeah. But I did bring a second phone so I can leave the stream going. Yeah, so you're good. So you're good. You're yeah. on MiFi, so you're <clears throat> you're good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, but anyways, uh, I tease Noah, but we do have links to the webcams uh, in the show notes if you guys want to pick one of those up. Uh, and then last but not least, and I think there's probably nothing that our audience doesn't already know, but it might be a good resource if you want to pass it along to somebody who's considering Linux in the uh, educational space. I linked to a uh, – <clears throat> oh, what a pop-up. Look at that thing. What a pop-up. Linux and Ubuntu.com, besides their pop-ups, has a nice uh, write-up on the uh, six best, quote-unquote, Linux distros for school. And I really like I'm, – I'm actually a pretty big fan of ed, uh, the, uh, the Edge Ubuntu replacement – which uh, I think is kind of interesting, Uber student. But anyways, there's a bunch to check out, yeah, including that's, that's a really good name. That's a really good name. Yeah, yeah. And there's Uber also student, I, th- I like it. I like this one too, Fedora Edu. Yeah, so if you uh, want to get your Fed- sounds cooler. If you want to get Fedora Cray Cray, <clears throat> there you go. So I have a link to that in the show notes as well. So thanks to Chris and the school out there for letting Noah come out. Congratulations to them for getting a pretty cool setup. And uh, I'd love to learn how that goes down the road. So maybe keep in contact and give us updates from time to time. And if you're considering doing something similar or maybe starting like some sort of screencasting situation or a podcast situation or a YouTube show where you're going to be the next YouTube star, all of these you could do now under Linux using OBS that I think even just, you know, Two years ago would be a lot harder. So it's pretty cool. I and mean, you could just use the cameras we have linked in the show notes. And you can check past episodes where we've talked about microphones and stuff like that. And that is the Linux Action Show's look at Linux in the educational space. You can coin that term. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. I guess as it is. So, Mr. Noah, we have a few emails to get into and some follow-up. Uh, we'll do that here in a moment. But let's start with our thanks for System76. Now, I don't know if you've considered this, but you just switched like – I think I counted like five computers in that in that video. So that's five switches to Linux. Have you Are you tallying that up? No, I uh, I didn't realize that we were like actually in a competition. So I guess life is a competition. Yeah, I was, Noah, figure it out. I, yeah, I wasn't keeping track, but I'll, I'll start. I'm gonna start keeping. I'll start, start, start you should, keeping track. Why not start right there, dude? You can start right there with those five. Okay. So they're for All this right. month. Everyone, 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 I switch Linux from now on. Send an email to emmetsystem76.com. Yeah, there you go. System76.com. Go check them out. They build systems born to run Linux. They've got two different laptops now with the GTX 10 series graphics cards. Uh, Noah knows uh, this is 100 percent true. Uh, I was grousing over the week, sending him he's, screenshots of. Yeah, he sends me like every time he thinks about buying it which is frequently he sends me a screen cap and he's like here's my config look at the here's here here's the price of bitcoin here's the price of this computer today here's what i would want to buy here's all the things i think i could do with it if i bought it here's how because you know now that see not only with the oryx's man you get you get a ton of drive space but now with the gtx graphics in there and up to 64 gigabytes of ram uh, this would be the alt speaking of obs machines this would be the ultimate obs live stream 
editing production box all in one for the road. That would just be such a monster. I just, uh, I mean, they build great desktops too, and uh, uh, a bunch of different kinds of laptops, not just monsters. Check them out at system76.com and uh, go over there and tell them Noah switch it to Linux, and then you might just get a nice treat. It's a nice way to support the show too. So, are you ready for the emails, Noah? You, uh, I am. Okay. All right. So, I'm going to do the We're reads ready. since uh, you're on location. And our first email comes in from Ed T about mic input and output controls. He says, I've been looking for ways to enhance the way my mic sounds on VoIP calls. I wanted to get your input on the best way to do that on the software side of things. I don't really need anything complex, though. All of the solutions I've found so far are complicated and geared more for cleaning up recordings after they're done. I just want to sound better on the call. Maybe boost the bass a little bit, reduce the background noise with some controls to adjust the sound on the fly. I'm currently running Ubuntu Mate. Thank you in advance for any advice you can offer. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Ed from the Philippines. So any uh, suggestions there for Ed? Yeah, so I'm going to start by just uh, going to the old adage, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. It doesn't matter what how fancy your software is, doesn't matter what filters you have, doesn't matter how great everything else is, if you start with the, every time you, you modify a signal before it gets to the computer and it, and it, and it is for the worse, you're, you, the, the overall quality of your product is always going to be that much worse. So start with a good microphone, start yeah. with good high-quality cables, put it into a good high-quality interface and plug it into you know, some sort of a digital connection like USB. Those would be my start. You can do all of that, what I just described, for under 179 bucks. We have, I, I, I've talked about it before it's been a while now i guess but i have gone through and found components that are all natively compatible with linux that will give you really decent good starting audio sound and you can have the mixer and the headphones and the microphone and the audio interface all for 150 bucks or less. i mean people watching at home and in the chat room right now are going to say jack use jack send the audio through jack and then you can eq it that's nice because it's software only solution i'll tell you where you're going to go wrong here and it sounds like you're already going down this path and this, my friend, is the path to muddy sound. If you, if you put too much bass in a VoIP call, um, it really becomes yeah. unlegible. In fact, for all our VoIP calls, I pull, da- I, pull extra, I pull bass out a little bit because think about a VoIP mm-hmm. call like this. What it does is it, it takes a wide band of sound and it smashes mm-hmm. it into a narrow channel. And to do that, mm-hmm. it's taking from the highs and it's taking from the lows. It's dropping some of that, smashing it all together, muddying it mm-hmm. up a little bit. And so uh, if, you, if you send too, too much, it just, gets, it just sort of gets overdriven and muddy. It, it, the, too much bass will sound uh, like this. And uh, too much highs will be very hard on the ears, very uh, scratchy on the ears. Tinny, yeah. Tinny, mm-hmm. yeah. And so you, just, you need to... You need to be listening to what it sounds like on the other end and then adjust your mix based on that. So figure right. out however yep. you can do that and then use Jack to configure it. There's some tools like you could mess with uh, – oh, here's one, one last tip for you. Every freaking major VoIP platform that uses its own codec sounds different. So Hangouts audio, call audio sounds different from Skype. Hangouts on air audio even sounds different than just regular Hangouts. And mm-hmm. same with uh, Linux Skype. Linux Skype's audio is worse than regular Linux on Windows. Like the new WebRTC audio they're using on Skype, to my ears, mm-hmm. sounds worse. Uh, we're using uh, Jitsi for, for this call. And um, the audio is kind of comparable to Hangouts, I think, but it's different. And I, I Q differently each time. I EQ differently each time. And then, of course, the mic makes a difference. So Noah is on a mobile headset mic, like one of those broadcasters at a mm-hmm. sports event, which has a totally mm-hmm. different sound to it than his regular RE mic uh, back at his studio. So, right. 
yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta take all of those things into consideration when you're planning for that, uh, and then just sort of hope that the best signal you can put into that will get you the best results. And then if you record that, yeah, you could try clean up later after the fact. But like Noah said, garbage in, garbage out. So make sure the first thing you're starting with is good, clean audio that isn't overdriven, isn't too loud, doesn't have too much stuff turned up. Mm-hmm. So Ken writes in with, uh, I think this is for you, Noah. He says, uh, hey, Noah, you don't need a VPN with all these sensors and stuff. Just get the clapper. You have full control, and it doesn't go over the internet. Clap on, clap off, Noah, the clapper. You know, <clears throat> part of me, one of my greatest regrets about society is that clapper functionality wasn't embraced, extended, and integrated. And I want to underscore that. One of the greatest failings of our society is failing to properly leverage the technology of the clapper. Uh, sure, the clapper, as we all picture with the old lady clapping in bed, that, that product needed to die in a fire. However, can you explain to me why I can't clap twice to locate a lost remote? Why can't well, I clap twice? That. They have that. They what? Have that. My remote doesn't beep. That's the what? Thing. Why doesn't okay, my remote well, beep it, when I clap twice? But I'm just saying they have little things that you can attach to your keychain and then you, they what, make no, your No, what did I say? I said the failing of our society is not properly extending and integrating it. It should be integrated. Uh, three claps and I locate my watch. Two claps, I locate my wallet. I, and, and you know what? If it goes off accidentally once a month, no big deal because we've improved yes, this technology. it is a big deal. You would lose it. No. You would lose it. No. You know, because you know what drives me nuts, Noah? You know what makes me absolutely mental? Is when I lose my remote for... No, when I lose my remote for 10 minutes every day. I do not want to spend 10 minutes of my life okay. every single day looking for my remote. I will take a random beep once a month when it mistakes a clap. And you know what? Let me program know, a clap like... sequence. Maybe I love the clap. Give me lots of clap. I don't care. I'll clap all the time. I'll five clap if I have to to locate my remote. I don't understand why we. I hereby, I hereby challenge you. I hereby challenge you to a mental duel on the on user error episode three when Rakai is here to back me up. No, some your property beeping, even if it's only once a month, would drive you absolutely nuts I to the s- point that you'd smash it before you let it beep. I say, sir, it is situational, and I will take you up on that debate. Okay, so, bye. if you'd like to contact the show, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Linux Action Show from the dropdown. If you're watching on YouTube, give us a thumbs up and leave us a comment there. We're trying to share love with YouTube because, you know what? Let's be frank. It's been a rough week over there. I don't know if you've heard of the news, but... Uh, the news is that YouTube will demonetize you for covering the news. And so people are getting super upset on YouTube and creators are threatening to leave. So in solidarity, give us a thumbs up and a comment over there and let us know that the YouTube platform is worth fighting for. And last but not least, don't forget you can always submit content directly to the show as, a, as maybe like a spotlight or a great desktop application or a Linux distro you love or a news story you want to comment on. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Sunday's the time we do this. Find your exact time and your location at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Watch it at jblive.tv. That's all the links I got, except for that guy's Twitter. Where do they go, Noah? At Colonel Linux. And also, while Boom. I think of it, you can also follow my company, Ultaspeed, at Ultaspeed. And if you are in the central Wisconsin area, we are looking to hire a part-time technician out there. And so if, if you're interested, go over to Ultaspeed.com and use our contact link and let us know that you're in the area. And that uh, I will just assume, if you put Linux Action Show in the, uh, in the subject line, that you're more than qualified to handle some of the stuff that we need to do. Because if you can understand the content on this show, you could definitely handle our clients. So if anyone's out in the central Wisconsin area and looking for a part-time job, 
let us know because we are looking. Hell of a deal right there. Speaking of the Twitter, you can find me on it, at Chris LES, like Biff 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 did. At Biff Biff tweeted me last week and said, hey, Chris, what was that light bulb that a listener sent you that doesn't require internet connection? I can't find it in the show notes. Uh, that might be my bad. Seth, he at Linux Fest Northwest gave me the LIFX. I think it's how you pronounce it. L-I-F-X. And you can find it at LIFX.com. Read more about it, though, because I have not done extensive testing with it, but he gave it a a real hearty endorsement and uh, was trying to solve that particular problem. So there you go. You can tweet me at Chris LAS. I try to read all of them if I don't respond to all of them. And you can follow the network at Jupiter Signal. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll see you right back here next week. Four thirty three is armed and ready. Are you ready over there? Well, you're still chewing. That's when it's time for a Sam Adams break. The Linux Action Show recommends Sat... Nope. Did I tell you? A beer sponsorship. Even Sam Adams would be badass. What's the matter? What's the matter, darling? Well, I I was just thinking, I've got plenty of access to drinks, but I don't really have any food. That's right. You just fill your tummy with drinks. That's that's normally what... Well, I'd have to cook. I know it's not Coca-Cola, but... You got Coca-Cola? Okay, good. Well, then you're set, dude. What do you need? Mm -hmm. That's what you live off that stuff. Mm-hmm. When the uh, end times come, you are going to be one of the sole survivors because you've already trained your body over all the years to live off of uh, Coca-Cola. Hey, you know what I noticed? Speaking of delicious, you are, you, if people want to know, like, great food snack gifts, you know, uh-huh. like, Noah's got them. Noah's got it all figured out. you got to dial it in with the food snack gifts, like with the uh, chocolate-covered uh-huh. potato chips. Yeah, yeah. I noticed this year that uh, I didn't get any, but uh, Eric the Nomadic Fanatic did. That's yeah. weird. I don't know what happened. Nobody- Nobody here's what it. I suspect. Here's what I suspect. I suspect it's possible that you actually bought those chocolate-covered potato, potato chips for me, but never got around to sending them because life was busy, and then gave them to Eric. Is that true, sir? Is that true? No. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> Nobody got chips. Nobody got... Usually I send them out. Nobody... I didn't even do Christmas cards this year.